Blog Talk Radio. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Well, hello, everybody, on this wonderful Saturday here in Roundwood, Ireland. And it's a cloudy day, once again, in Ireland, Ahanu. I guess I just can't get away from that if I'm over here, can I? Well, you're in the part of the country now where there are 40 shades of green. And those green colors are absolutely being helped along by this uh, unprecedented rain that we're having. I know, but we are... ...guest on today. I'm so excited. Her name is Zoe Reedhead. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And she is from the A.S. Neal Summerhill School in England. And she's going to be talking to us today all about school and I can't tell you how excited I am to have her on. You've been hearing me talk about her for years, haven't you? Mm-hmm. That's right. In fact, I remember, Angel Rose, when we first met, you were asking me about the Summerhill School. Had I heard of the United Kingdom? But once you had told me about it, it was something that we had chosen to explore in more detail as time went on and now that we have our own little art of living well radio network we are so looking forward to speaking to zoe reedhead today about the summer hill school okay do we have any announcements Hano, aside from our classes that we're uh, offering here in ireland our quantum jumping class which we just had today and it was a wonderful wonderful class and we have our group Akashic Record Sessions coming up on Monday nights from 7 to 9. And uh, what else, Hunter, do we have coming up? Well, we are starting to explore a whole new area of spirituality called pranic nourishment. And how it arose is because a number of friends of ours had met several people very close to where we were living in the United States in Asheville, North Carolina, who had actually been living without food for 14 years and the other was something like uh, 12 years. And I found that personally quite astonishing because, you know, I thought if you didn't eat, you'd die and that's it. But apparently these people are able to absorb nourishment from, from source, from the prana and uh, it is worth investigating because the lady who actually uh, pioneered this work has been uh, giving this information to the likes of the United Nations as a solution to world hunger. But of course, as we know, people who pioneer this kind of work, they are seldom heard. Now, one of the people who we're speaking today who pioneered this co-educational boarding school in Suffolk in England uh, was heard, and indeed this School founded in 1921 continues to be an influential model for progressive democratic education around the world. So we're looking forward to speaking to her. But before we do, let us just announce that uh, Angel Rose's book called A Time of Change is available for pre-order on her uh, pre-order website called 
atimeofchange.info. That's all one word, atimeofchange.info. And that book promises also to be a groundbreaker. It is pioneering in the whole area of what's going on in, on the planet, what's happening, uh, where this information is coming from, debunking old myths. It is, it's, can you give people a little summary of what the book really is all about, Angel Rose? Well, if I give them the summary, they won't read it. It's really about uh, this time period that we're in, the changes the world is going through, and any questions uh, that people have brought to our group Akashic Record sessions. So all that really happens is we open the Akashic field and we present the questions uh, to source, basically. So the book is the wonderful questions people have asked since 2010 on the topic of the world right now and where it's headed, where it's going, uh, what's it mean for us. So that's what it's about. Ahanu, I think we need to bring Zoe in. Okay. Now, just a moment. If anybody wants to call in, they can use the guest call-in number. It's 805-292-0349. And if anybody wants to get in touch with either Angel Rose or myself, Ahanu, you can email us at angelrose.com at angelrose.com. Let me spell it because it's unusual for people who are not from this particular island of Ireland. It means angel in Irish. It's spelled A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E at angelrose.com. Now, the lady who we have waiting on the line patiently for us, calling from the United Kingdom, is Zoe Reedhead. And Zoe is a staff member at the A.S. Neil Summerhill School in England. Indeed, she's more connected than just a staff member. But she'll be talking to us today about this unusual and democratic school for children. And what it is, it's a co-educational boarding school based in Suffolk in England and is the original alternative free school. It was founded in 1921. It continues to be an influential model for progressive democratic education around the world. It's one of the most famous schools in the world, indeed, and has influenced educational practice in many schools and universities. The democratic schools movement is now blossoming internationally with many schools. We apologize for the disconnect, everyone. We've been having a little bit of technical problems today. So if we do uh, get cut off again, just stay tuned because we will get right back online as soon as we can. So I apologize for that. Go ahead, Nahan. Okay, we have Zoe Reedhead on the line from the United Kingdom to speak to us about A.S. Neal Summerhill School. You're very, very welcome, Zoe. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Yes, can you hear us all right? Yeah, I can hear you, but you do cut out every now and again. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, we have been having some technical difficulties. You know, many people have told us that it's to do with uh, the solar flares and various things because even our own radio uh, that we listen to for listening to the news and various radio programs it cuts in and out strangely. That never used to happen before. So we apologize yeah. in advance to our listeners about that. Now, Zoe, can you go back in time for us and bring our listeners up to speed with what the Summerhill School is all about? Go, go back to the time of A.S. Neal in 1921 and what was going on at that time. Well, I don't really need to go back because what it's all about now is what it was all about then. 
um, basically it's um, it's a school where children are allowed to develop emotionally as well as academically. It's a school where children are allowed to make choices about their lives. They can decide whether they want to go to class or not. Um, that's just an instance. It's it's run with a uh, under a democratic system where everybody in the school has equal vote. That's the adults and the pupils. So. Um, overall, there's equality in the school, although we recognize that the adults have very different roles than the children. We are all equal in the eyes of the school community meetings. Um, and I think just giving kids that amount of freedom to make choices for themselves is such a different education system to anything that exists in the world other than democratic free schools. Um, it allows people to develop into the people they're going to develop in without being hindered by having to go along a route because that's expected of them or having to work hard in class because teachers say so. Well, I wish I could go back in time, Zoe, and be a child because I read about this school probably 20 years ago, I'd say, and I was living in Chicago, Illinois. And I remember just having such a longing uh, in my heart to be able to would have the opportunity to be able to go to a school like that because I was somebody who um, definitely was not ready emotionally to go to school when I did. And consequently, you know, I hated every minute of it all the way up through my graduating years. I couldn't pay uh-huh. attention. You know, I... Um, I, I got a real distaste for learning, yeah. and um, it actually took me till I was, you know, out into the world and in my 30s to regain a desire to learn again. So can, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about, you know, the system as it's set up today and why it, um, I don't know, in my opinion, it ruins kids, you know? Well, I think the the, the problem is that that children basically are, are treated like a different species. You know, there, there are expectations. I'm, I'm always still amazed when I hear throwaway, throwaway remarks on, you know, TV programs or interviews or anything where people just make this assumption that children, A, have to be told what to do, B, that they are badly behaved unless you train them not to be. And um, it, right. it, it just amazes me that that's just so accepted by everybody across the board. And my own children, I have four children of my own, and, you know, they've never been badly behaved. They they didn't have tantrums when they were babies, so I didn't have terrible teenage years with them being defiant, horrible children who argued with me all the time. We've just been a family. And, of course, in a family you have disagreements and you have bad times and you get angry with each other, but that's part of being a family. So, right. you know, the same thing would apply in Summerhill. We, of, of course, everything doesn't go smoothly. Of course, people harass each other. That's the nature of kids, you know. But, it, but, in, but in discovering how to deal with it and that you are empowered to make, to make choices and to, and, to, and to control the way people deal with you through the school meetings, then you, you learn about how important you are, what an important thing you are as a person. Mm. Zoe, I I have to say I was very impressed with your earlier remark there where you said there's no need to go back in time because basically everything, the way you deal with children is the same now as it was then. But just for my own own information, though, I'm really curious about A.S. Neal. And in in terms of 
you know, he founded the school in 1921, and your slogan says, still ahead of its time. So what was it that he discovered? Well, just that, you know, he was working in, uh, he was my dad, you know that. I, we, we're, we're beginning to understand that relationship, and you're very modest because yeah. you put yourself forward as a staff member, but yet you, you have an intimate knowledge of this, of course. Well, I was born in Summerhill, so I spent a lot of time yes. there. <laughs> well, we are um, blessed my, to have you with today. <laughs> my dad um, was a, a, became a pupil teacher when he was a young man. His father said that was all he was fit for. Um, in those days, you became a teacher by teaching with the with the main teacher, and just kind of teaching the little kids, and then gradually doing more and more. He became a teacher at Gretna Green School, you know, famous Gretna Green, where people used to run yes. away to get married. Indeed. And during his time there, he um, he he became aware of the fact that I mean, throughout throughout all of that period, but particularly while he was in Gretna Green, I think it it began to occur to him that children. Um, that children were unhappy in school and that they were learning things that weren't really relevant to them. You know, most of the children that would be in a, in a small village school in Scotland at that time would be perhaps farmers' children, um, local tradesmen's children, and here he was trying to pump them with the the accepted academic route. And, and for most of them, it wasn't something they had any interest in. It was not something that it was gonna ever, ever going to help them along because they were going to go back onto the lands of their families. And um, he felt he found himself having to tyrannize children in order to make them learn and that wasn't something he wanted to do so so he gave them a lot more freedom and he found it delightful and he from then he you know he began then his search to to, to discover more and um well it was a long time before i was born so i, I don't know how it went mm-hmm. but okay. he, um, but do you, do you know did he encounter res- with, with this new uh, philosophy, effectively, did did he meet with resistance from the mainstream? I think I, I'm not so sure whether he would have met res- resistance um, from uh, uh, you know from the sort of political point of view. I'm not sure if if uh, I don't even know if in the days that he began Summerhill in the in the 1920s, I don't even know if they had school inspectors. Uh, so they had some form of school inspection, but I don't know whether independent schools in England had inspectors. So. I think from sort of authority, he wouldn't have necessarily um, had problems, but he always had problems with the press. I mean, the media have always, Summerhill has always been the school that the media loved to hate. And throughout his time at Summerhill, there will have been articles about children swearing or being wild or <laughs> being free to do as they like. It was being always free, known yeah. as the do-as-you-like school. Um, so, you know, people made assumptions, and people still make assumptions. They assume that Summerhill is a place full of of wild children, that it's an anarchy, and and every single person who visits the school is struck by how calm it is and how calm and quiet the children are. Even when they're playing and laughing, they have a kind of calmness about them, which you don't tend to get in, in conventional schools, because children who are playing in conventional schools have to be a little bit manic, because they haven't got much time to do it in. Right. Yes, uh, I can certainly identify with everything that you're saying here. And so you were actually um, brought up then in Summerhill. So yeah. what was what was yeah. that experience like for you? Can you tell us? 
Uh, well, I'm often asked that question. I mean, the, the reality is that my dad was just my dad, and, and it was a very normal life to me. You know, I was aware of the fact that Summerhill was different. I was aware of all, all of those things because, obviously, as I got older, I became more and more aware of things in the press and so on and so forth and just the, the very controversial nature of Summerhill. But I, I guess it's the same for everybody who has a sort of unusual upbringing or, or unusual parents or something. You know, for me, it was just the normal, that was my life and, and my, that my dad was my dad and, and Summerhill was just an intrinsic part of who I am and still is. And, you know, I think everybody who goes to Summerhill will say the same thing. We, we have a, a, a pupil who, um, uh, is now uh, a mature woman, and she wrote wrote about Summerhill that it, Summerhill was as meaningful to her as being a girl having a round face and who her parents were. You know, that was as fundamental a part of who she was. And I think for everybody who goes to Summerhill, it is that it, 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 it has an, in, an imprint on your life that will stay with you forever. People dream about Summerhill when they've been there, even even 50 years after they've left. They dream about Summerhill and about dream about it not in a uh, just that it take they they go back in time and through the dreams and it's very you know they have very deep and realistic dreams about it and um, it's it's a very fundamental part of all of us. So for me to be born and grow up there, of course, it was it, it's who I am, and the same for my children. It's who my children are. <laughs> Wow, that is wonderful. But now, you you wouldn't know, of course, uh, Zoe, that uh, you know we've been involved also as a another aspect of who we are in the whole web design business and the advent of the internet and so on. And I'm I want the reason I'm telling you that is because I'm very impressed with your website. And if any of our listeners would like to click in and have a look, it's summerhillschool.co.uk. And on the home page there, it says, "Imagine a school." where kids have freedom to be themselves, where success is not defined by academic achievement, but by the child's own definition of success, where the whole school deals democratically with issues, with each individual having an equal right to be heard, where you can play all day if you want to, and there is time and space to sit and dream. Could there be such a school? Now, I think that's absolutely oh, yes. wonderful. Oh, yes, there really. can. <laughs> Yes, there can. Yes. Now, in, can, you, can we move forward a little bit uh, from, from having spoken about the past and your dad and so on and how, how the school came to be up to the present day where you have children who are playing all day if they want to and they, are, uh, they can sit in time and space to sit and dream. How does that work out in practice? I mean... It's hard for somebody who's come from this uh, programming of mainstream mm -hmm. education to to, mm -hmm. to grasp the possibility that children could just sit and dream all day. Can you give us an idea of what an, like a nine to five looks like? I think the, I think the first thing you have to do is to, is not to think of Summerhill as a school. Um, I think in, in order, to, I mean, it is a school and it has and it and it's very successful at what it does um, academically as well. But just stop thinking about it as a school. Think about it more as a as a as a large family home or a village or a tribe. Because it is, in a way, more like a village, because children live there. It's a, most of the children board. It's, there's not that many day pupils. Most of them live in the school, so and the adults live in the school too. So it's kind of like a tribal village. So in a way, if you think about it like that, you can see how um, it's 
it, it has facilities available, so there are classrooms available. So if you take the younger children, uh, we, have a, we have a timetable just as in any other school. We have timetables. Lessons start at 9 in the morning. They finish at 3.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And on Tuesday, two days of the week, they finish at 4. And the classrooms are accessible. So if you're a younger child, you can literally drop in and out of class. You will have some timetabled lessons which, which the teacher will uh, you, you will sign up to, and the teacher will tell you when they're going to be. But for but for the younger ones, basically, you can drop in and out. So there'll be many, many um, facilities available in class. There'll be um, kind of model-making facilities, and there'll be computers, and there'll be books, and there'll be games, and there'll be all sorts of things for children to access. I'm talking about the younger ones. And then in amongst that woven will be your half an hour's English or your half an hour's maths or whatever. And you have a free choice as to whether you go to those classes or not. So for what we see at Summerhill, because it's one of the few places where you can see free-range children, is that what children really like to do is to kind of drop in and out. That seems to be the way that they learn the best when they're young. Is to is to drop in and then drop out and maybe they'll drop out again for days at a time or weeks at a time or just hours at a time, and then they'll drop back back in again and start going regularly again for you know a few hours or a few days or a few weeks or even a whole term or two, and then sometimes they'll pull back again. So so it it's all dependent on on how they feel about learning at the time and kind of their learning appetite, if you like. But also, of course, it is dependent on what else is happening at the time as well and how they interest themselves. If they've got a good game going, well, lessons are going to go on the back burner for a while. With the older children, um, they will be signing up to class very much with their futures in mind. So they will be, um, once they reach the age of about 13, they will definitely be on the timetable, which means that you sign up for classes at the beginning of term. Um, you have a very conventional timetable put up, so you may have maths at 9.30 on a Monday morning, going on to science, going on to English, um, and, and those lessons are, are you know, throughout the week from Monday to Friday. But again, they're not compulsory. Um, having said that, if you're doing an exam course, the teachers will be very realistic with you and very clear about how you're getting on and that, you know, quite frankly, if you're not going, you're just not going to make it in that particular exam. Or if you say you want to be a doctor and you spend all day in the art room, then probably you need to think about what your plans are because actually you need to be in the science lab if you're going to be a doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, do you find that the children in Summerhill will naturally gravitate, uh, you know, young children, let's say. Or I think I I read in your dad's book years ago, and I could be wrong, correct me if I am, but he said something about um, that a child is born in with an inner knowing of what they want to do with with their lives. And if you leave them alone, they'll gravitate toward the subjects that will fulfill that. Is, is that correct, or what do you think? Well, I think it's more about I think it's more about people types, actually, isn't it? I think that you you know if you're if you're a very sporting type, it it becomes apparent quite early in your life, and it and it and it always tends to go along with things that we're better at. So so if you're if you're artistic, you tend to be better at, at doing art, and that's much more fulfilling, and you like it more. But whether you're better at it because you like it, or whether you like it because you're better at it, we will never know. <laughs> but we we all have an we all have a an intrinsic feeling about 
about what we want and what we like, it wouldn't go so far as to be that that's what you'd want to do for a living necessarily or that's what you'd want to do for your career later in life. But, yes, we do see children moving moving into directions that that we kind of expect from them because we've seen the way they've played when they were younger and we've seen the interests they have. So there, there often are not many surprises when they get older and they start to move in a certain direction. You, you, can, you can generally see the children who are going to go in for... Um, much more uh, hands-on experiences like doing woodwork or, or wanting to go and do, um, you know, art or something that's, that they're going to use their hands. And the same with children doing music and things. You, you, you can tend to see that about them when they're younger. It's not always foolproof, but it, it does tend to follow through, yes. Okay, and like at what age do you see children starting to think about, you know, their adult life and what, what type of career they may want to choose? Um well, we remind them. I mean, in, in, in this day and age, we find that we need to remind them earlier rather than later because the, because the colleges are getting tighter and tighter, the requirements. And, you know, it's, it's sad for schools like Summerhill that, that it takes a little bit of the children's freedom away from themselves in that they have to start earlier. But that's the way it is, and that's what we have to do. So we will start reminding them um, round about. They're in class, probably in class two, so they'll be round about between, say, 10 and 12, um, and that would be the sort of age we're going to start having sort of preliminary meetings with them. Not not big heavy ones, but just like, you know, it's probably going to be four or five years till you're going to leave and have you had thought about that. And the main thing is that if you are going to want to take the GCSE exams, you are going to need to put time in. So the, the more you do now, the less work you'll have to do at the time. And it isn't realistic to imagine that you can do nothing at all and then pass your GCSEs well in two years. You can do it, but it's going to be a lot of work that you may not be prepared to do. So, so it's just it's being realistic and being practical and giving people information, really, and not being judgmental or not making um, a big deal about it, but, but saying this is the reality of life. And I think that one of Summerhill's great strengths is that it is a really grounded, down-to-earth place. If something works, we do it. If it doesn't work, we don't do it. And, and we're all very matter-of-fact, down-to-earth people. We don't we don't fly off the handle about things and get very excited. We just get on with the with the business of living. And in and within that, one has to be honest and truthful and give people information. If you're going to let them make choices, they need to have the information. And they also need to be prepared for to take responsibility for the decisions they make. Now, we have uh, an audience, Zoe, that are very, very open to all of what you're saying because we tend to be in the that that alternative way of thinking that holistic mm-hmm. approach to life you know that mm-hmm. spiritual awareness that personal growth uh, um, type of way of thinking mm-hmm. so our listeners would certainly be very aware of what you're thinking and they're they're I know that they would be very grateful for you having come on here today. And something that I want to say to you that uh, we really do appreciate you speaking to us about this because, you know, I'm, I'm sure that as the principal of Summerhill School, and not only that, but having such a, an excellent website that has all the answers to all the questions that we're asking you, you must be quite bored with people constantly asking you about this. Are you? No, I love it. I love Summerhill, and you know, when you love something, you just want to talk about it all the time. I find it very exciting. Mm. I, I, I just love it. Great, so great. I well, we I are so excited. Oh, great, great. Now, if anybody does want to call in, our guest call-in number is eight zero five two nine two zero three four nine. 
of Living Well under the Honest to God series. You're listening to Ahanu and Angel Rose. We have a special guest today, Zoe Reedhead from the Summerhead School. Oh, I'm sorry. Have I pronounced it's that redhead. wrong? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually spelled R-E-A-D, isn't it? Yeah, but it's red. Having, like, okay. Read all right. I'm, I'm so sorry. I was pronouncing Don't it as, worry as, as about I was reading. People do it all the time. <laughs> okay. Just a moment now, Zoe. Okay, Zoe, um, I also read in your dad's book about the way uh, the children solve problems, and I, I do think there was a story in the book of a fella who took another fella's bike, and uh, so he was brought, you know, to the assembly for to decide the punishment. So could you talk to us, too, about how you solve problems in Summerhill, and could you also include, um, you know, some of the problems that you run up against today with certain types of students or even if you take in autistic children or, you know, like, could you just talk to us all about the problems that you encounter and um, how you solve them? Well, our, our self-government is the overruling. I mean, that that's we live by our self-government. It's Everybody has an equal vote. We have two meetings each week, and in those meetings we discuss various issues. We have what we call is a tribunal. Um, where people can bring cases against one another. So if somebody steals your bicycle or breaks your iPod or or um, that won't get out of your room or calls you names or something, then you can bring the case to the school meeting and people will make proposals. You can make proposals yourself and um, and then the school will vote. The people in the meeting will vote to see what they decide to do. And generally speaking, there will be a fine of some of some sort. Well, when I say a fine, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a money fine. We call fines any anything that you that you are that that you have to do after you've been fined. So. Um, a fine could be that you have to go to the back of the lunch queue. Um, if you watch computers and play computer games out of hours, um, then you you're, you have a screen ban for 48 hours. If you go into the town when you're not allowed, you have, you're gated for a day or two days. So often the fines are sort of um, similar to, to the, the problem in the first place. Um, and then also we talk about school laws because we probably have about 250 laws at Summerhill, which is probably more than any other school in the world. And we are called a free school, so that's a bit, a bit funny. Um, yeah. But we, um, we, anybody in the community can raise an issue about the laws, or they we invent new ones all the time. And sometimes we we change the old ones or we drop some old ones. Um, and you know, again, they're really practical. They come in to to serve a purpose at the time. We we tend not to have rules just for the sake of rules. Um, obviously, of the 250, there are some which are probably outdated and, and ought to be chucked out, and we will get round to that eventually. But but most of the laws that are made are made because there's a problem and it needs dealing with now. And so that's what you know that's what happens in our meetings. So they're sort of twofold. The meetings they they help individuals. Um, to bring cases against one another, but also they're about about daily life. They're kind of like housekeeping in a way, you know. They 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 keep the school on the on the straight and narrow. And we also have elected ombudsmen who are elected by ballot in the community. They have to be older children, and they have to have been at Summerhill for two years. And um, that's whether they're adults or pupils. The same thing would apply. 
and they are people that you can go to if you have a problem with somebody else. So if, if you're in your room and somebody's in there and you tell them to leave and they won't leave, you can go and get an ombudsman, and the ombudsman will come and um, help you to deal with it, basically. They'll, they'll kind of be a mediator if there's arguments, and, and they can also bring things to the school meeting for you. And they also have some powers. They can, they can ban somebody from an area until the next meeting, or they can confiscate an item off somebody until the next meeting. I see. So, so that's pretty comprehensive. And do you have a good turnout at the assemblies from the children? Uh, yeah, we call them meetings. And, yeah, I would say we're probably most of the time two-thirds full, but it depends. You know, they're not compulsory. And, obviously, if it's, if it's springtime and you suddenly get a nice day, then you're likely to get less people because everyone just wants to be outside in the sunshine. Or if you're having a summer <laughs> like we're having and you get a sunny day. But, yeah, yeah right. most of the time... Most of the time, I would say we're pretty well, pretty well two-thirds, I would say, going up higher than that. And it's just amazing because the meetings can be quite long. You know, they can go on for about an hour and a half, and it's amazing to see the smallest children in the school, sometimes six years old, five or six years old, sitting patiently all the way through and, yes. and voting on things. You know, one of the real values of it is it, you don't have to be a talker. You don't have to be someone who brings things up. Just the fact that you're in there and you're casting your vote is what gives you power. You are helping to decide on issues that can be really, really important issues, and your vote really counts. And it's, it's a great experience for children to, to find out that, they, that, that they're that important. We apologize to our listeners and to Zoe Redhead for that another little technical problem. Actually, might I say it's quite interesting, really, that we're on the air from Ireland. It's a U.S.-based show, and our guest today, Zoe Redhead, is calling from the United Kingdom. Such is the international nature of the Internet. We're delighted to have you back, Zoe. And uh, I I was asking you about the parents just before that interruption. And uh, I can understand, as I said, how the children would be delighted with such a prospect of your school. But how do parents react to it? Well, the parents who come to Summerhill want what Summerhill offers for their children. You know, they, they, many of them have perhaps put their children into, into conventional schools and just watched them in a way being crushed. And I don't mean to be insulting to conventional education. So I'm not saying that happens to all children, mm-hmm. but it does happen to some. And, and very often parents who come to us have read my father's books perhaps earlier on or perhaps they actually have only just heard about it and they just feel that they want that kind of freedom for their child. They want their child to develop into the person that they want to be and not to be formed and molded into something else. And do you find that they're, you know, when they first enroll, uh, are, they, are they reticent or are they curious or are they watching the development of the child to see did they make the right decision? 
I don't think so. I think it's a really big decision to send their children to Summerhill, and I always think how brave parents are because they don't know what I know about Summerhill. So, so it's a, I think it's a very brave decision. And um, but no, they. I think the I think the very first holidays that their child comes home, they see such changes in them. Even if the child has been a bit homesick to, in their first term and perhaps hasn't been that you know that settled for the first term or the first few weeks. I think that when children go home, the parents see such changes in them, and so, so much they're so much more relaxed and so much more at peace with the world, even after just one term. And for most parents, that's just a dream come true, really. Yeah. Um, talk to us, to Zoe, too, about the boarding. And I, I have uh, questions, really, about you mentioned earlier that some of the parents uh, actually live there as well, and some of the children do. A lot of the children do. So, um, how does how does that work? And also, uh, I think somewhere we read that a child can only enter Summerhill up to the age of eleven. So, is is that correct? And if so, uh, what's the age restriction um, about? Yeah. yeah, we there's no parents live at the school, and we have a few day pupils, and our, and our day pupils tend to be parents who come from far away, and they've got younger children, and they want their children to just. Um, coming each day for the first term or two terms or even a year or two, and we have children. We have parents from from Singapore and and South Korea and all over living in our local town and sending their children to school daily as they would in any other school. Um, but the boarders don't have their parents here. The boarders fly all the way from wherever they come from and or you know or from England, and they live at school th- through the whole term, um, and that. For Summerhill children and Summerhill people, that's a really important aspect because it it really gives them the feeling of their life, their school, their life, uh, their decision-making. And although, of course, they're a huge part of their own families and they love their families and they're very happy to see their families again and so on and so forth, there is still that real feeling of freedom when you haven't got... You know, the problem is that kids love their parents and they want to be best for their parents. And you kind of get a feeling of what your parents might want of you. And you don't want to disappoint them. You love your parents and you want to be good. But sometimes when you're a child, you need not to be good. Sometimes you need to make mistakes. Sometimes you need not to be that really nice person. And if you're in Summerhill, you really feel the freedom to be able to discover life for yourself because you don't have to feel that you need to uh, to please your parents or to... Uh, I don't mean that as a negative thing. It's just that if you love somebody, you want to do your best for them, and right. it, it gives children a real feeling of, you know, this is this is really my life. I really can make choices about my own life because my parents aren't here either, and 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 what they know is what I tell them. So you know, so they, so you, um, it gives them a much more mature outlook, really. I think because they really feel that they are in control. Yeah, I wouldn't know what that's like either, as it. <laughs> <laughs> going back and, and thinking as a as a child because you know when I was going through high school and you know and the report cards got sent home through the mail and you know what my mom would do is she'd put a flag outside and if it was white I could come in and if it was any other color I couldn't but you know yeah. I joke about it but really the fear around it wasn't that funny. Yeah. no it wasn't the, the fear funny, around that. Yeah. No, it wasn't because I was not someone who, like I mentioned, who was really interested in the curriculum no. that I was being no. forced to learn. So, consequently, I skipped a lot of classes and I, 
yeah. you know, got got in trouble in various ways. It, it uh, was turn, out with it my boyfriend. Turns, yeah, it kind of turns you into a bad a bad girl because you through necessity in a way, which is not. It good. does, and then you you try to work the rest of your life convincing yourself that you're really good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So well, we I'd like your even, perspective. We don't even that, sense. You know the. Go ahead. Uh, we don't even send school reports. Yeah, I kind so, of gathered so that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, parents don't parents don't get reports. That is fantastic. But I mean, of course they can. You know, of course they can discuss things with us and make contact with us and so on. But we don't. Yeah. But we don't send reports. Yes, but if there were to be reports, they'd obviously be all, all from happy children. Well, I think they would. Yeah. Um, but, yes. you know, it wouldn't necessarily be um, reassuring to parents to know that their 10-year-old is not going to class at all. <laughs> so, I, um, you know, I that, that's something. Um, but we, we, yeah, I think I think you could say they're happy children. Not happy all the time, yeah. you know. This is a community and things things yeah. go up and things go down. But that's part and, of, the, of the joy of it. It's a very real community and, and the emotions that you see are very real. We, we, yeah. We're all very... Um, we're very quick to show our real emotions, and I think that's important too. Very honest, I think. It's a very honest community. It has a kind of ancient truth about it as well. Um, just a real honesty and a truth that, you know, that could go right back to our to our beginnings of time. Yes. Do you find that the the children actually respect that honesty? And, and, and let me ask the same question in another way. Um, do, do you think, do you find... Are there any children that would ever take advantage of the the, the freedom that's there and maybe yes. never attend any class at all? Oh, absolutely. And you, I mean, remember, it isn't just about class. You know, we we get children who are difficult, who have emotional problems, and who can be very difficult for the community. And the yeah. school meeting has to work very hard. Um, and occasionally, we can't we can't solve the problem. Occasionally, children have to leave because the because the community can't solve the problem. And we have to always bear in mind that there are other children perhaps very young children in the community and that, that they have come to Summerhill to have a happy childhood and unfortunately we can't sacrifice one child with emotional difficulties um, we have to sacrifice one child with emotional difficulties rather than um, sacrifice the others to them so it's not a, it's not a, a utopia in that sense I mean it, absolutely it's practical, not. it's real a- absolutely yes. not I think for people to think Summerhill is a utopia is, is, is like for people to think that, that the world is a utopia. It cannot be. You know, you're taking a mix of yeah. people of all different, um, all different thoughts and, and characters and temperaments, and you're putting them to live together. But the joy of it is that in, that in having to mix and live together, what the children learn is the most important things. They learn about compromise. They learn about taking responsibility for their actions and, and, and being responsible for the, the, the decisions they make. And um, the people who come out of Summerhill are the most fair and reasonable people. Um, I would say that Summerhill people are all incredibly well-mannered. I don't mean in a please and thank you sort of way. I mean in a real genuine well-mannered way. Um, very calm people. The children at Summerhill are, are very calm. Um, they look you straight in the eye. We had, a, we had a film crew with us um, about four or five years ago because the BBC made a children's drama about the school. You may have heard about that. And we had a film crew. Uh, uh, the whole film set moved to Summerhill for two weeks during the summer holidays, and our children were acting as extras. 
And one of the film crew, who was an, an electrician and not somebody you would normally expect to be thinking much about um, education, in the sense of education, he, he said to, to one of his peers that um, when Summerhill children look at you, it, it, it's as if they see right into your soul. And I thought that was a really profound thing for him to have noticed. You know, he was busy oh. doing his job. He was he was busy. He wasn't thinking Indeed. about freedom and education. I mean, he was busy doing a really important job, doing the, the electrical work on the film. And yet, that's what he saw, that the children look at you and they see right into your soul. And I would say that's a, a fair... Um, a fair expression about Summerhill children. They really do seem to see into your soul. Now, isn't that a wonderful testament to the work that you and your dad have done? And UNESCO, indeed, listed him as one of the 100 most influential educational thinkers. And he was also listed as one of the 12 greatest educators of the last millennium. I mean, that's a yes. huge, huge accolade. And yes. do, you, do you think then that while you say it's not a utopia, you're actually building characters in these young people to work towards making the world a better place to live. Well, I think, uh, yes, because everybody who leaves the school will have a a good balanced view of, of life and of people, and and they will know what being happy means. And that doesn't mean being joyful all the time. Being happy means being at peace with yourself and your life, whatever life throws at you, really. And um, I think it's there's not enough of them to have a great influence on the world. <laughs> but the people around them and, and the people that, you, uh, that they work with and live with will, will, will see that in them. And do you think, too, uh, Zoe, the ability to problem-solve at an early age, uh, I mean, I, I just can't fathom the benefit of a child being allowed to solve their own problems in those young ages. Oh, I just yes. think that... It, but also, it's very, they, they're incredibly creative because of that. You know, they, they think outside the box. I mean, some of her pupils make great entrepreneurs. <laughs> they, they're used to grabbing the moment and making use of whatever's available and doing it really well. You know, they, they're very alternative thinkers or, or creative thinkers. And I think that comes from them being able to to make those you know to make decisions and to and to spend time doing what they want to do if you want to we had a Japanese boy with us who who seemed uh, I would never really have said what he was interested in he was just you know he was just a little boy having a nice time he wasn't a particularly wild and excitable boy he didn't do lots of boyish things, but suddenly he latched onto music. And he did music almost to the exclusion of everything else. He did still do some other GCSEs, but in his in his soul, he did music all day and almost all evening and probably late into the night. And he he left Summerhill and went to a, a, a local college where they do music. And he then went to um, the Royal Academy of Music in Scotland. And he's now a composer. And I don't know where he is at the moment because I haven't had contact with him lately. But... You know, that was something that he, he had a passion and he was able to fulfill that passion by spending every minute of every day doing it. And that's what we all need to do. And our passions don't have to last forever. If you become a musician, you don't have to be a musician until the you. day you die. Yeah, absolutely. So you, um, you know, you, you, we did get the gist of that. You faded out a little bit, but I think you were saying that he it was because he was able to spend so much time doing what he loved. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. But but we all need to be able to do that and even if we do. even if the the interest is fleeting, we need to be able to absorb ourselves in the things we love to do. So let me let me ask you Zoe about the imagination because 
being raised in the the conventional system, do you think, you know, children or people lose their ability to imagine and they lose their ability to be creative if they're brought up in a conventional type of an organization? I don't think that people lose it. You know, I've met a lot of wonderful, wonderful people who never went to Summerhill, but what I have seen is that they have had to work very, very hard to shed a lot of the baggage that they've um, that they've come about through their schooling and through their lives. So I wouldn't ever say that Summerhill people end up being better than other people, but they have a but their journey is more uh, fluent in a way because it comes from childhood and they kind of flow into it. Whereas a lot of other people, when they become adults, and it sounds as if you yourself, you know, you have to go through a lot of soul searching and a lot of thought processes to deal with that kind of baggage that was that was a problem to you when you were a child and and I don't think we should have to do that. Right, and now I'm 58 years old and I still couldn't honestly tell you that I'm sure um what I'm supposed to be in my life. I mean, I I no. have arrived at at being an author and I it is something I've always wanted to do uh, since I was young. I used to have visions of published books everywhere and but I'm only getting around to it just in the past year. And mm-hmm. uh you know, I I feel a bit remorseful about that that somewhere along the line I just got so uh, waylaid in terms of clarity, yeah. my own inner clarity seemed to have yeah. been lost and certainly uh, you know with a lot of the people that we meet today um we see so many people who just you know, who am I and why am I here? They don't know the answer to that yes. question. And I, right. I find that so sad. Yeah, that's what I mean, really, about having to soul search, you know. And I I don't think that, the, the, certainly the pupils that I've met, and of course I know a, l- a large number of people who have been to Summerhill, from elderly people to the very young, <laughs> um, because Summerhill's so old. And, you know, the people that I've met, uh, they have an inner peace. They have an inner peace and an inner knowledge. There's no doubt about that. Gosh. Um, and and um, so you did mention that you do take summer vacations. You mentioned the summer holidays. So yeah. do you allow um, people to come and visit the school during that time, or is that an opportune time for anybody who would like to come visit Summer House? Uh, well, in the holiday time, we do what every other school does. The children all go home, and the staff all go off, and we we have a holiday. We just don't do anything. So, we, <laughs> so it's not the best time to come and and, and no. So and we check finish. We finish actually next weekend is our is our finish time, and we will then have two months, just over two months off until mid September when we start again. But we do have regular visiting days at the school throughout the year. And people need to contact the school office, and they can make an appointment to come, and they will be shown round by one of the visitors' committee, who are elected members of the community, and then they get to have a chat with me and and some other people to answer questions, and they get to go to the school meeting. So it's a good day; it's really worth a visit. Okay, so let me ask you too about the transition from uh, the end of their school years at Summerhill to their mm-hmm. transition into college. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like in Europe, but in America it all depends on your grades from your younger years in school, your high school grades, your test scores. Uh, yeah, that determines yeah. whether a college will accept you. So how does it work for, for you guys? 
Well, in England, you have we have our school leaving exams, which are called GCSE, and they are um, most children will take those when they leave schools throughout the country, and you need a certain number of GCSEs to move on to your next step, where you will then, if you want to go to university, you will then be studying for A-levels. A lot of schools, will, children will study A-levels at school, but we don't do A-levels at Summerhill, so you need to move to your next step. Um, so the Summerhill pupils will take, um, I, guess, I guess in England, a sort of, you know, people would go up to 10, 11 GCSEs, um, subjects, but I would think probably that's not nearly an average. I would think probably four or five would be more like an average, and, and our children will be taking probably four or five. But they tend again to be much more grounded and down to earth about it. You know, it's not success is not about how much you know. Success is about who you are. So the children at Summerhill will tend to take the GCSEs that they know they will need for their next step. And um, if they want to go to a, a college, they will, have, because as I've said before, we'll be giving them information. They will find out what they need to go to that college. You know, they probably will need a, a grade C or above in, in say, uh, maths, English, and another subject. And then they'll study hard for those subjects. And then perhaps also the specialist subjects that they that they enjoy doing and want to follow on. So um, then when they leave, they will go on to college. And most of them find the transition very easy. You know, they, they live in the real world. They know what it's like. They know that what they have at Summerhill is very, very special and that it's not going to be the same outside. But they're ready. You know, they've had a happy childhood. It's tucked under their belts. They know They know now, now I'm an adult and I'm going out there to work, and when I go to college I will have to work hard, and they're very happy to do that. Now, our listeners are listening to Zoe Redhead, who's the principal of Summerhill School in Sussex, in England. Suffolk. And the, in Suffolk, on summerhillschool.co.uk, if anybody, we encourage people to look it up because the website itself is very nicely designed, very easy to follow, and a huge amount of information on there, and a big, big frequently asked questions section. And a lot of those questions we're not going to get to cover today, but we have our own list, a long list, and I'd love to be able to get to cover all of them. But one of the important things that that stood out of the um, the website that I found was where somebody, I'm not sure who it was, interviewed these children and asked them questions. You know, like, mm-hmm. how, how did you find school and what have you achieved mm-hmm. and what was the most important thing you got out of it? And yeah. in answer to that question, several of these children had said the most valuable thing that I got from Summerhill was freedom. Yeah. Now, you know how throughout the world people say that's the one single thing that you cannot put a price on. It's the most wonderful gift to give to anybody, is that gift of freedom. That must be very, very satisfying for you, Zoe. Uh, the, whole, the whole experience of Summerhill is very satisfying. You know, it's, 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 it's a wonderful place and it does a wonderful job, and I'm, I'm really um, honored to be able to be part of it, actually. And, um, you know, it's the... the it's, it's the development. It isn't, you know. Of course, freedom is, a, is an important part of it, but it's the whole development of being in a community, living with other people, um, learning to communicate, and and also being free to make choices about your life is just. It's a wonderful experience for kids. It's a wonderful experience for people. Mm. You know, that's the way we mm. all ought to be living. And do you think that sense of freedom is in any way connected to a kind of a growing sense of sovereignty that people are discovering all over the world, not just in these islands? In what way? What do you mean? 
Well, you know how we, we've, we've witnessed the Arab Spring and we're finding people becoming more self-contained and self-sovereign in lots of different ways. Do, do you think that you're seeing that in your children earlier? I don't think so. I think that, you know, I think the children that we see at Summerhill now, apart from the fact that they play with computers, uh, are probably very much the same children that my father would have seen 50 years ago. And children okay. are children, and it's taken us millions of years to develop to where we are now. Mm. And, you know, we're mm. not going to change in 50 years or 90 years. Mm. We still have the same needs and the same desires that, that mm-hmm. our ancestors had and, 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 our, and our future generations will have. So I don't really see any change. You know, kids, kids just want to, kids just want to, to be want able to, to learn fun. about themselves and about life and to enjoy it. Children, you know... Yes. You, I always think if you look at kittens, then you're looking at children. And, and, you know, kittens and puppies, what do they do? They just live life and they love it. And they learn about themselves and each other and they play. And then the mum comes along and ticks them off and they, you know, they, oh, I shouldn't have bitten her tail quite so hard. And, and, you know, that's what children are like. They tumble out. We get a sunny day at Summerhill after a lot of rain and they tumble out like kittens and puppies coming out of their baskets. (laughs) Well, I heard an interesting um, story, I guess you could call it, about the difference between kittens and, and humans. And that is that when, when a cat, a kitten or a cat, you know, let's say is stalking a mouse or something and misses, mm-hmm. it just preens itself, washes itself off, goes to sleep, and then comes back and tries again the next time. It yes. doesn't remember the trauma of it no. the same way as humans do. Yeah, but it's because yeah, they don't. It's because they don't have a conscience, and it's because, in a way, they've never been given a conscience. You know, and and children brought up in a, mm. in a in a world where they're not given a conscience are much more likely to to keep trying and just have another go at it. Oh, yes. you know, I didn't manage that. I'll try again soon. Of course, you have your yeah. own inner feelings of of failure and an annoyance or or whatever because you haven't achieved it but unless other people are being disapproving about it there is no reason you should feel bad about it because it is all about learning and you should you should you know have a go i mean why why are computer games so incredibly successful they're incredibly successful because you you get just the right amount of achievement but my goodness they have to try hard to get it and just when you feel as if you're not going to move any further, you, you, you know, the game is designed so that you will actually get, you will actually achieve it. <laughs> so the you know, children have yes. this incredible yeah. capacity to just keep trying and keep trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking about uh, keep uh, continually trying, uh, you, you're painting an absolutely wonderful picture of an educational system that you carried on from your father, uh, which is a credit to him and to you and to all the that are involved, but it's not without its challenges, as you have listed some of them. But there's there's one point that, um, despite the fact that the school did achieve higher than national average pass rates and exam rates, um, the, and a, an unprecedented level of parental and pupil satisfaction, there was a notice of complaint issued. Uh, I think it was like 1999 that was seeking yes. the school's closure. Can you yes. elaborate on what that challenge was like for you? Uh, well, for us, it was an incredibly personal thing because everybody in the school thought that the school's um, future was in jeopardy. Um, it was. We were inspected every year by Her Majesty's inspectors, um, and most schools would go three or four years between visits, and, and they kept assuring us that there was no reason why they were coming each year, but just that they were. Eventually, they issued us with a notice of complaint to say that the, that the standards were not high enough, basically. And the long and the short of it was they, they said uh, they wanted us to make changes which would 
really, they didn't give us any answers. They, 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 they told us what was the problem and that we had to solve it. But the reality was the only way you could solve it would be to make lessons compulsory. And we were not prepared to do that. So, um, we, so that would have meant the school would have closed. But, but people who wrote to the government were, were, were persistently answered by the fact that, no, we're not trying to close Summerhill, but they knew that we would close it rather than change. So we went to, um, if you're an independent school and you have a notice of complaint, one of the things that you have the right to is to, is to take it to an independent school's tribunal, and that's what we did. And we went to the Royal Courts of Justice, and we, on the second, third day of the case, um, the government capitulated and came and asked us if we'd like to come to an agreement with them, which we did. Wow. Uh, they refused to admit fantastic. that they capitulated, but in fact they did. <laughs> it was them who came to us. They came to us cap in hand and said, we'd like to come to an agreement with you. And we very much um, took charge of the terms of the agreement. And part of that was the, the recognition of A.S. Neal's system and that um, when they inspected the school, there would be certain conditions that they would have to fulfill, such as not to make an assumption that because children were not in class that they weren't learning. And we also have a, a, our own expert who is able, uh, and a lay person who, who accompany the inspectors, and actually are very helpful to the inspectors because they're people who are very experienced about Summerhill, and they can help to give them information about the philosophy, which would be very hard to understand in just one day when they come to inspect the school. They haven't got time to read the whole website and read all Neil's books. You know, they come very green, and so to have our experts there to to kind of guide them through is very helpful. Right. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm just overwhelmed here. I just think this is wonderful. And But I would like to know, for our listeners' benefit more than myself, Zoe, if you could tell our listeners the difference between uh, Summerhill and some of the other alternative schools, such as Montessori or uh, Rudolf Steiner schools, can you can you tell us what the difference is? Yeah, um, about as much difference as between us and conventional education. I don't, I don't, I, I would never term Montessori and, and Steiner as being alternative schools because I think of alternative schools as being uh, democratic schools, and, and of course there are a big movement of democratic schools throughout the world. Um, so for me, I, I know I know that Steiner is very different and they have a different approach, but um, it, it's it's still it's still actually about learning, and that's not what Summerhill's about. Summerhill's only about learning when you're ready. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have ever been ready. Do you think so? <laughs> yes, No, I would have, but I certainly wasn't ready at five. I'll have to tell you that. I, I no, probably would have been one of your students who would have come and played and maybe even got into dress-up and acting, but I certainly wouldn't have... Yeah. Uh, started learning to spell and memorize words and all of that, you no. know? No. no, you wouldn't. Now, you mentioned, Zoe, about uh, Her Majesty's inspectors and so on, and, you know, having to reach a compromise on standards and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Does the same thing apply with regard to funding? Because you mentioned your school is a free school. And uh, so how, when you say free, do you mean everything is free? No, the fee-paying no. school. It's a okay. private school, and it's an independent school, and it charges fees. Yes, so and that's it's, it's a, very unfortunate because it, 
a school like Summerhill should be available to anybody who wants to come, but unfortunately it's not because it's not. We're not yeah. funded by anybody. So when we call it a free school, it's been it's been called a free school for, you know, probably the last 90 years. But what it meant was that the kids were free. But nowadays, the government, of course, have hijacked it because they're now starting their own free schools, which are nothing like some else at all. Um, so gotcha. they've, they've hijacked our name. But I, I would call it, a, you know, in calling it a free school, I mean freedom, freedom for the individual. I mean freedom to, to make choices and, and play all yes. day if you want to. But no, I it's understand. a fee-paying school, and it's... It, you know, in, in its setup, it's very conventional. I mean, we have three terms a year. Uh, the parents pay the fees. They have to pay extras as well. Uh, the children come and live at school. We have house parents and teachers, and it's it is a school, very much. Yes. So. Okay. But now, just how? <laughs> yeah. Forgive forgive my ignorance in asking this question, but my understanding is that there is only one of its kind, and that is in the United Kingdom. Are there others? Are are there? There are other schools. Yeah, yeah, there are ahead. many other schools like Summerhill. I mean, throughout the world, there are many, many, many. I think, I think, I think almost all of them will have been inspired by my father in some way or another. There is a school okay. in Devon called Sands, S A N D S, Sands, as in the sand on the beach. And I can't remember how long it's been going, but probably about 25 years. And it's a secondary school, so children, I think, don't go there till they're about 12. And it's also a day school, so. So that is the difference, but it has the same um, lessons are not compulsory, and they have school meetings. So it's very similar to Summerhill model, mm. but mm. but the majority, and there are many throughout the world, but the majority of them are all day schools. There are not very many, if any, that are um, that are boarding schools. There's one right. in Japan where they board during the week and then they go home at weekends, and there's one in America that have just started um, having boarders, but only they've only got a few. But um, and of course, from from the schooling point of view, you know, the difference between a boarding school and a day school is is enormous. Yes. Because where our is children that live there all the, the time. Where is that school in the United States? Where is that um, one located uh, in? Uh, it's called the Highland School, and I can't remember where it is. I can't remember okay. what state it's in. It's called the Highland School. Okay. Okay, now but there are many. I mean, because... Sudbury Valley is there's a, a large school called Sudbury Valley, which now has kind of franchised out. So there are many schools using the same model as Sudbury Valley, and that's and that's probably been running for 30 or 35 years. And it's a day school again, and it's you know hugely successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, it's, so because you know we're not the only one; we're just the original one. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. No, I, and I'm. I was I was delighted to read that, but because of the experience that you have at, at Summerhill, going back to 1921 uh, and 1923, do you think that your particular model is something that can be re- replicated? Do you have any plans to open other, like let's call them branches or, or mo- yeah. schools modeled on your own particular um, Yes, method? it could be replicated. It could be replicated, mm-hmm. but no, we don't have any plans to do that. We, we've got enough to do to run just one, actually. Okay. Right. Zoe, I'm we're I'm we're interested. Um, I'm interested in your comment that you made earlier about the school, in in terms of you said it was based on um, really an ancient way of life. So could you expound on what you mean by that a little bit more? And also, the whole subject of spirituality. Do you feel that these children? you know, have their spirituality intact, and I am kind of don't really know what I mean by that, but I'm not really talking about a religious 
perception, more of a um, innate spirituality. Do you see that? I, I I have a bit of trouble with spirituality because I'm never quite sure what it means. So I'm not a good person to ask that question. Um, okay. I, I don't I don't feel any kind of spiritual soul within myself. I I feel that I am just me and the, the world around me is. So it's quite difficult for me to answer that question. I think it would be very easy for people to come and to see a, a, a spirituality in the children, but I don't, you know, but I don't really see that. I think the ancient, okay. the ancient truth I'm talking about is that the ancient truth that I believe we as people have within us and have always had within us, and that's what's made us who we are, has made us people and enabled us to develop. That that there's a that that the societies that thrive in in the world are always the ones in which there is truth and honesty and compassion and kindness and thought and care right right and there are many many other societies uh, that do not have that. that but and there are many many you know there are very, can be very large societies where there is not truth and compassion and care but i don't think you would say they thrive okay right and do you ever have any autistic children come to the school Yes, we do from time to time. We have one at the moment, actually, but um, but again, not often. It needs to be somebody that we feel can be safer than the school and can and can function in the school and have and have and have control over their own life, but also be able to um, be able to, con- uh, to 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 mix with other people and to be safe and to, and to be able to thrive really in in company. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Okay, just a second, uh, Zoe. The original book by your dad, A.S. Neal, is that available? Is that in print that people the can buy? And if so, where no, can they get it? It's not. Um, you can get it probably from second-hand bookshops. There is a book that is in print called A.S. Neal, Summerhill and A.S. Neal, and that was that was that's got a chapter by myself, and it's also got a chapter about the court case, and that was published, I think, about five years ago. Um, it's not available in America, so anybody in America would have to send out to Amazon UK or something to get it. Um, I think there's a, a book called The New Summerhill, and I'm not sure if that's still published in America or not. But Neil's original book and this and, the, and Summerhill and A.S. Neil are, are being published in all many, many countries throughout the world, but not in UK and not in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original Summerhill is not available yeah, you, in the UK. Yeah, you can get the. The new book by, yeah. So you're talking about the I new book that it. was published in 2006 called Summerhill and A.S. Neal. Yeah, you'd be able to get that from Amazon UK, I guess, but you wouldn't be able to get it from American Amazon because it's not published in America. It was due to some copyright reason. It's published by the University Press. I see. But for somebody who wants to get into the philosophy of A.S. Neal, where would they go for more detailed information about his principles on education and so on? Uh, to, to read, they'd have to read books. I mean, I, I think the original book, Summerhill, is a very, very good book. My only um, doubts about it is that it was written a very, very long time ago, and, it was, and it, was, it was a compilation of many of his books that were written in the 1930s, 40s. And so it doesn't kind of present what you so-called modern problems, whereas in the one that was published in 2006, it has got a questions and answers session at the back, and we, we particularly updated it so that it would so that it would be presenting modern you know modern problems of parents, and I think that's quite important. So, for me, I would always recommend that book because it it actually gives a picture of Summerhill today 
rather than just the philosophy of Summerhill from many years ago. And it, but it also does give a lot of Neil's original writing as well. So it, it, it kind of marries the two up. You get the original, and then you get um, something about Summerhill today. Fantastic. Well, I know we're we're kind of coming down to um, a time crunch here, so I want to just turn it over to you, Zoe. If if you have any uh, lasting uh, thoughts that you you think are important for our audience, because you will be uh, there will be people uh, in America and in Europe both listening to the show today. So, in terms of you know you as a principal or you as someone who has watched children for so many years and have also witnessed the world today, do do you have any advice or thoughts for people who are parents of children or anything at all that you can think of? Um, It's a difficult one because it's a very big subject and there are lots of problems today with children actually having too much freedom in the homes and we, we get a lot of problems and hear about a lot of problems of children being what I think my father would have called brattish. Uh, being kind of spoiled and 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 having everything that they want and being able to be quite bossy and so on and I think that those things are um, you know are problems that rear their heads today. Um, but I you know there's nothing there's nothing really you, you, there's nothing profound you can say to help people. You know people need to find what what works for them and I would I would just recommend that they do find out more about Neil's methods because they can be helpful in many families. I have letters from all over the world all the time saying, you know, I raised my four kids according to Neil's methods and now they're all adults and they're wonderful people and I and I'm so thankful I read AS Neil. So I would say, you know, if you if you want to know more about how you could be different with your children, read AS Neil. He's a good man. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I I know cuz I told you I read the book uh, yeah. 20 years ago now, I believe. So, but let me ask you too, because you bring up an interesting point when you talk about children having too much freedom and being spoiled. So that brings up uh, a new definition, if I could, about the word freedom itself, because certainly in Summerhill, it doesn't, even though the children are free, it doesn't sound like they're spoiled in any way. You know, and I hate to approach the word discipline. You know, I don't know the word that you would use in terms of how children, I mean, you did mention there were many laws in your school. So yeah. can you kind of tell our audience the difference between somebody who believes that freedom means a child does whatever they want um, all the time and ends up bossy and having temper yeah. tantrums and the need yeah. for maybe some sort of, I hate to use the word discipline, and if there's a better word, if you could tell us what it is. Can you give us the difference? I think um, I know what you mean about the word discipline, but actually it's a word that people understand, so sometimes it is better to use that. But actually I would say that in Summerhill people are learning self-discipline, but they're learning it through living in a community. And in family life, you know, we have a very, very clear definition at Summerhill between what we call freedom and what we call license. And freedom means you can do as you like as long as it doesn't affect somebody else. So if you want to, if you don't want to go to maths class or you want to take all your clothes off and run around in the, in the school grounds in the rain, then that's fine because that's not going to affect anybody else. And that's your own business. It's your personal life. 
If, however, you decide that you want to play your drums at 3 o'clock in the morning or throw your food around the dining room, then it becomes a social issue because you're actually going to interfere with the lives of other people, and that is what we would term license. And I think that, that in homes, the, the, the difference between freedom and license is where often it gets fuzzy, and particularly people who want to give their kids freedom. They sometimes get a little confused about the difference between freedom and license. And so I think always just bearing in mind, you know, if this is something that infringes upon somebody else's freedom and somebody else's life, then it's not freedom, it's license. And license is not okay. Um, and, and parents, you don't have to be controlling and you don't have to be tyrannical with your children. You just have to be a leader. You have to be a shepherd. And if you shepherd your children correctly, you, you steer them in the right direction. And yes, sometimes, you know, your sheep stray a bit and you have to run after them and shout and wave your stick about and say, hey, sheep, get back in there. But that's okay. You know, in a, in a good, well-balanced family, children should be able to get angry with their parents and parents should be able to get angry with their children. And as long as you love each other, that's fine. It's not going to blight people's lives for the whole of their lives, you know. It's okay to be angry, and it's okay to get upset sometimes, and it's okay to make mistakes. But if you love each other and you bear that in mind, the difference between freedom and license, then there will be a balance, and it won't be that the children have all the the, um, freedom, and it won't be that the adults have all the freedom. It will be that they're equal. I love that definition. That's marvelous. Yes. Now... The next question needs to be asked about your own children. You've carried on the legacy of your father, obviously very mm-hmm. successfully and very effectively, and you've you've mm-hmm. you've you've really have won some major battles as you've outlined to us today. Do your children, or do you think your children will carry the baton forward from here? Yes, my son William has been working at Summerhill for probably the last fifteen years or so. And he is, he's the woodwork teacher, but he's also kind of vice principal with me, and he does a lot of work in the community doing all sorts of things. And he, um, although if we ask him outright, he looks at his brothers and sisters and says, you needn't think I'm going to do this on my own. <laughs> um, you know, he's very much a part of Summerhill. All of our children are very much a part of Summerhill. We have a daughter and three sons. And although they have, um, the other three all have different um, areas in their lives. Two of them are farmers, and two of them, one of them's a musician, and the other one works at Summerhill. But they're all in the area, and they all love Summerhill to bits. And there's no way they're going to see it fail. So between the four of them, they've got the mm-hmm. skills, the, all different skills. They will keep it going without a doubt. That's wonderful. There must be a lovely sense of family about that. There is, yeah, really lovely. Yeah. I've got my yeah. grandchildren Good. at Summerhill as well. Oh, wow. Uh, that's marvelous. Now, tell us, you know, using all the experience that you have gained over the years and, you know, all that wonderful influence from your own children, too, and from your pupils and the parents, do do they urge you to make big plans for the future? Or is it your intention to carry on the school in the same manner as, as it has been going since 1921? Yeah. Yeah, we carry it on as it is. We we keep up with the times. We have obviously we have uh, when you're a school you have lots and lots of paperwork and lots and lots of challenges that you need to you know, health and safety and 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 risk assessments and all of the things now that you probably didn't have 30 years ago. Um, but we you know we keep up with the times. But we're very clear that the philosophy remains the same. And and if you've got a good recipe, why do you need to change it? You know, for me, the fundamentals of Summerhill is the way human beings are supposed to live. So you don't need to change them because that is that ancient truth 
that is how we need to live with one another. We need to communicate. We need to be equal. We need to learn to get on with each other. And, and that's all we need. And that's what Summerhill provides. I think this is absolutely phenomenal. And so, Zoe, you know, for somebody who would want to perhaps take Summerhill and replicate it um, in America or in another system, you know, how would they go about, um, I hate to use the word training for that, but I'm going to use the word, uh, or, you know, to learn about Summerhill, would you recommend they come and, and be there or what yeah. would you suggest? yeah. I think I'm I'm very surprised actually that so many people have gone out to start schools sort of based on Summerhill and have never actually visited the school. I think I think the only way you could uh, the only way I could recommend it would be that they would come and work at Summerhill for at least two two years, probably three, and see Summerhill mm-hmm. in all its in all its seasons um and right. see it when it's high and see it when it's low and see lots of the problems and then I think if you went away and to start your own school, you would feel you'd got a really, really good basis. It surprises me because, you know, if people want to become teachers, they have to go to university and they have to study. And yet people will go and start a school as, as, as different as a, as a democratic school and, and say that it's based on Summerhill but not actually find more about it. I think it would be much easier for many people. I know lots of people also want to use their own model, and that's absolutely fine. But, you know, to get the experience of somewhere like Summerhill and all the problems and trials and tribulations that we have, I think would be a very good grounding. Well, you may see me there in the future. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'm gonna, I, unfortunately, I guess I have to wait until the fall to actually come there. So, yeah. uh, to okay. begin well, we, your we, session again. We have visitors all in all three terms of the year, so that's fine. Okay, we're speaking with Zoe Redhead, who is the principal of Summerhill School in the United Kingdom. The web address is summerhillschool.co.uk. We encourage our listeners to actually look up that website, marvelous website. And on the front of it, it says, imagine a school where kids have freedom to themselves. And it's a beautiful statement. And I'd really like to read it again because we do have to draw to a close here very shortly. But this really, really impressed me, Zoe. He said, imagine a school where success is not defined by academic achievement, but by the child's own definition of success. Imagine a school where the whole school deals democratically with issues, with each individual having an equal right to be heard. Imagine a school where you can play all day if you want to. Imagine a school where there's time and space to sit and dream. And that's absolutely wonderful. We've had a, a delightful time with you today, Zoe. As I said, we're not going to get to the, the countless questions that we have and that each discussion raises, but we do encourage our listeners, as I say, to look up summerhillschool.co.uk and uh, if anybody wants to contact us directly, you can do so at angelrose at angelrose.com. That's A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E. Now, uh, we asked you, let, let me just do a quick summary, uh, Zoe, if you don't mind. In today's discussion, we've talked about your father, A.S. Neal, and the, the books he's written, the fact that the school he founded in 1921 is still ahead of its time even today. Mm-hmm. We spoke about how he arrived at his philosophy, uh, the, the difficulties he encountered, and um, we spoke about how your school is funded and you know exactly what f- being free means, 
which was great to get clarity on that. And uh, we discussed the various resistance that you encounter from uh, other school systems and politics and so on. And we found out the difference between that and Montessori and even Rudolf Steiner. We had a, a quick understanding from you about the size of the school and the, the, the mechanics of the school, how it's run and the, the basic, um, let's call it the, the kind of curriculum, yeah, and uh, mm -hmm. the type of children and indeed the type of parents who, mm -hmm. who come to your school. And uh, we found that the most valuable thing that the children get from it is that sense of freedom. And uh, we looked at, uh, we talked about how various other people, in, in a sense, I suppose, replicated, uh, not exactly the same, but similar schools are sprouting up around the world. And uh, we also were delighted to find from you that your own children are taking up the legacy of your father and carrying on the tradition, which is very, very encouraging indeed, indeed. Yeah, so Zoe, we want to really, really thank you for coming on today. Uh, you know, it's been such a pleasure. It's something that this whole subject of children and um, their ability to blossom into the, the pure beings that they are has been something that has been so near and dear to my heart for many years. And if I, you know, had the wherewithal, I, I would be there now. Really, I, I just told Kevin. I told Kevin I need to go before we leave Ireland. I will have to have yes. a trip over there. I have, I have one granddaughter only, and um, certainly, certainly, even raising my own children, you know, the best I could do was let them homeschool for a certain yeah. period of their their, uh, you know, their their growing up. Yeah. But uh, geez, you know, like I say, if I could turn back the clock. Um, you know, I wonder how much of a different person I would be myself today. So we 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 really commend you for your work and everything your dad okay. and yourself are doing. So thank okay. you so, thank so you very much. much. Okay, okay you're most welcome. Will be and best of luck with your programs. Okay. Okay. Thank bye you. bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now that was Zoe Redhead from the Summerhill School in the United Kingdom. It's summerhillschool.co.uk. Absolutely beautiful, wonderful lady and pioneering, uh, carrying on the pioneering work of her father, A.S. Neal, in the Summerhill School. Really, really inspiring. And as I say, in this time of change that we're in, it's wonderful that children are coming out of that school well-balanced and capable of standing on their own to handle themselves in a, in a spiritual and... Uh, beautiful, upright, honest manner. Yes, so thank you everyone for listening today and we will be talking to you next week. We, Our guest is going to be Linda Stromitz who will be talking to us about Young Living Oils.